Welcome to the Green Heart Living Podcast with your host, Elizabeth Hill. I'm so happy to be talking with Doe Henschel today. How are you, Doe? I'm just wonderful, Liz. Thank you. It's a joy to talk with you. So we are publishing your book, Look Ma, No Hands. And I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself um, and what type of work you do in the world. Um, could you just give us a little introduction to Doe? Sure. Um, I am, I just turned 80. I've decided 80 is, is good. Um, and all of this is happening right around my 80th birthday, which was last week. I have spent my career since the 1970s as an adult educator, largely, well, in the first half of that time was in higher education. Uh, worked at a lot of different kinds of institutions, uh, was a professor of adult education at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and a dean at SUNY Brockport and a de the dean of continuing education at UConn, went on to be vice president at a small women's college, Pine Manor College in Boston. And then I retired after some several years of consulting, I retired and was looking for a part-time early retirement job. And discovered Leadership Greater Hartford, where I have now been for 22 years. At 58, I what didn't- What a retirement, work. right? <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect to work for another 22 years, but right now I've told people, I don't ever intend to retire again. They're gonna carry me out in a box and I hope that's not very soon. At Leadership Greater Hartford, I began my, my work as a program director to develop a program to develop, engage uh, older adults in the community. and my role expanded and I became vice president for programs and was uh, very much involved in expanding the portfolio of programming for Leadership Greater Hartford, which is a community leadership organization, nonprofit, and we are one of the largest and the most diverse programmatically in the country, even though we serve a relatively small uh, metropolitan area compared to many. Have been here 22 years. I stepped aside two and a half years ago, almost three years ago, when a young man who we had hired right out of college told me that he was ready. He wanted to take my job someday. He said, someday I want your job. I said, get a master's degree in an appropriate field. He did three years ago, and he is now my boss. And um, I am, am thoroughly enjoying what I do. And the writing of the book really has been kind of in the background. I started it about 10 years ago, shortly after I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. It is about an incident that happened in 1986 when I smashed both my elbows in a bicycle accident just before I came to Connecticut to begin that position as dean. And when I was diagnosed in 2009 for Parkinson's disease, I actually attended a memoir writing class thinking, this is the time I really would like to write a book about the six months I spent with both my arms and casts. And it sat in my computer for 10 years until now. And we can talk more about that later, but it is, uh, it really captures, it captures who I am in terms of my approach to life and how I believe one, one learns from and, learns to address and deal with challenges. Mine happened to be having no, no hands. And I talk about that as the time when I had no hands and I had to really think about how do I do everything? It's amazing what you can't do with two hands. 
And the book just kind of captures who I am today and how I live, how I live and, and continue to learn. Hmm. You are such an inspiration, Joe. And I, I just love how you share this in the book because it is a series of multiple things that you face in life. And the, I know one of the people that we uh, has said that you, he wants to give people a dose of dough, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a dose of dough, because it is this way that you are approaching life and looking at it that you are unstoppable. I mean, physically thinking of how on earth did you get through six months when you're just about to start as a dean, move across the, the yeah. you know, multiple states to uproot, move, and what had to happen. And your sense of humor throughout all of that and yep. the shifts you had to take as a, as a person to receive help in that way for everything, for a lot. Maybe well, not and everything. I hope, I, I believe this comes through in the book. I hope people see that I learned to, I learned to laugh. Actually, laughing was one of the first things I realized I could do. Uh, I have a little excerpt of the book we could read later, perhaps, about that. But um, it was a horrible time in many ways. But when people who were part of our life then, and I say our, my daughter was going off to college that summer. This happened in the summer. And whenever anybody mentions that time, Karen and I both will laugh. We we found so many funny things. And that's what people always said. You need to write a book about this. You need to write a book about this. And in fact, we're, we're holding a book signing at Leadership Greater Hartford on November 15th. And the flyer that we've put together says, we've, we've wanted Dr. Doe to write a book for a long time and now she has. Uh, people call me Dr. Doe and it's an affectionate uh, title. When I was a dean at UConn, they called me Dean Doe, and I wondered if they called other deans, Dean George and Dean Henry, and I don't think they did, but I was Dean Doe. Uh, when I went to Pine Manor, I was Dr. Doe, and somehow or other, people around here have picked that up, not face-to-face, -face, but they will talk about Dr. Doe, and sometimes call me Dr. Doe. I think it's a sign of respect. I don't, one of, one of the decisions I needed to make was whether to put doctor or PhD on the cover of the book. And I had several conversations with people and the consensus was that, no, I really didn't need to put that on the book. Um, it's on the back, you know, people know that I have that credential, but look my no hands is, is from Doe the person, not the doctor. And of course, I'm not the kind of doctor that does anybody any good. So I don't- <laughs> Yes, you do. <laughs> oh, I'd love, could you share that um, excerpt? That is the, from one, the, the one about what I can do? Yes. Sure. Yes. Sure. Okay. Uh, let me give a little bit of background. I had I I ran my bicycle into a moving automobile. I was starting a fitness program. There's some irony there. I was starting a fitness program trying to strengthen my legs. I had a friend who was a runner. He was running. I was on a bike for the first time in many, many years, a 10 speed that I had never ridden before was my daughter's and I saw that I was headed down a hill and I thought I could catch him if I went really fast. And I did go really fast and I couldn't stop when I ran broadside into a moving automobile. Broke both my elbows, really smashed them very badly and spent five days in the hospital after surgery on one of them. And this little excerpt begins 
when I came home from the hospital after five days. A young woman whose name is Meg, who I will tell you I have recently found again after almost 40 years. And we had lunch together. She lives in, uh, in New York, upstate New York. We live in Connecticut. My daughter and I met her for lunch a couple of weeks ago and it was just a wonderful reunion. And we had a lot of laughs, but Meg is in this story. I said, Meg, can you get a big roll of newsprint and tape it up in the hallway? I wanna keep track of things I can do with no hands. Meg laughed. Well, right now that's a pretty short list. But I'll get the newsprint. As I realized the things I could not do, that became pretty scary and pretty depressing. I had had enough of that by the time Meg returned with the newsprint. I can laugh, Meg. Please write that in big, bold letters, I directed. Meg complied. You can also cry, Joe, she added. No, can't cry, I retorted. It's okay to cry. This is serious stuff, Joe. You don't have to be brave 24-7. It's okay to cry. Wrong. When I cry, my nose starts to run. And then someone comes at me with a Kleenex and smashes it up against my nose. I feel like I'm being suffocated. Now I know why toddlers run the other direction and would rather eat their snot than have someone wipe their nose. No crying. When friends came to visit, we often brainstormed new items to add to the slowly expanding list. You can dance, said Jill. Not too fast, added my more my more cautious friend, Mary. You can talk on the phone, as long as someone else dials the number and holds the receiver to your ear. No such thing as speaker phones in 1986. And we really did dial the numbers. I could read and eventually figured out how to turn the pages by myself. And as I got more skilled with manipulating small items with the tips of my fingers that extended beyond the ends of the tasks on both arms, I could turn on the lights. The suggestion that I could tell stories was shot down by Dima. Joe can't possibly tell stories with no hands. She gestures all the time. That's just who she is. Oh, thank you for reading that. That was so lovely to hear in your voice. Um, and yeah, that's what's throughout this book, which is what it made it so enjoyable to read as the publisher and working on edits and all of that is your sense of humor and bringing that and to, to it that we can, no matter how challenging a situation is, if we look at things a different way, this yeah. can keep us going. Um, do you have any advice for people that are facing a situation that just feels impossible um, to face? What, what, do you, what would you say yeah. to that? Yeah, I actually did a program last week at Goodwin University here in Hartford uh, on the power of resilience in later life. And um, I was asked if I had five hints or tips for people mm. because those who had read the book uh, in pre-publication said it's full of advice. And I actually did pick out five things. Mm. And actually, I've, I've got them in front of me. Oh, yes. Right here on the folder. The first one is remember that you have choices. Mm -hmm. um, we have choices about how we deal with the junk that comes our way. I, in the book, I use the metaphor of a jigsaw puzzle. I think putting our lives together is kind of like building a jigsaw puzzle. And I was building mine. And when I ran into that automobile, it was like somebody had knocked half the jigsaw puzzle pieces onto the floor. This is not the picture I was drawing. And how do I put these kinds of 
pieces into this picture. We have choices about that. And I think quite frankly, that this sense of our own efficacy, I have the power to build this life. And these things that come at me are really opportunities to learn to get around them and to get over them and to get past them. We don't, we don't give up. So that's, that's my first thing. Remember you have choices. And as I think about my Parkinson's, I was diagnosed in the year 2009, misdiagnosed five years before that. So I have been living with Parkinson's since 2004. And it's real easy to blame things that don't go well on my Parkinson's. I choose to recognize that it's the choices I'm making about how to deal with this disorder. Yeah, it gets worse all the time. I change my medications a lot, um, but I'm still working. I'm 80 years old. I am still loving what I do. And that's the choice I've made. That is the choice I've made. Now, a second one is exactly what that chapter is about. Look at what you can do. Look at what you can do, particularly as you get older or as you have a health situation and you begin to see things you cannot do anymore, focus on what you can do. I could lick my pain pills off the counter. That was something that was a way for me to be independent in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. um, and that became important. I learned to make my bed with my toes. Somebody once asked me, why did you bother? Wouldn't somebody else have made your bed? Yeah, somebody else would have, but that was something I could do. Focus on what you can do, even as that list gets shorter or smaller. Um, I think another one is to learn to ask for help and accept it. Um, mm -hmm. That's a real hard one for somebody, for many of us. And certainly for somebody like me who had, had grown up to be a pretty independent woman. And... Um, <laughs> When you have no hands, you really need help. You need help for a lot of things. Brush your teeth, comb your hair, um, get you dressed in the morning, eat. I couldn't eat myself. But I also think it's important to learn to, to offer help. Learn to accept help, ask for it, and accept it because we're all in this together. And I guess another one is to recognize that life happens and everything that happens to us is an opportunity to learn. Hmm. The book, you know, the subtitle of the book is Life's Lessons Learned the Hard Way. And each of the chapters has lessons learned. Um, if you can focus on what are you gonna learn from this experience, no matter how daunting and how horrible it is, I think I think it I think it's a way to keep you going. The lesson the, there's a one of the lessons learned is life happens, and if we are patient, and if we work hard enough to find it, we will find that there is always a cause for celebration. Mm -hmm. I can look back, and I do in the book. I have a lot of things to celebrate about smashing my elbows. Um, I became a better dean because I had to watch and listen rather than jump in and begin to make changes before I knew what I didn't know. My angels literally tied my hands so that I had to just get through the days for the first four or five months of my job. 
And then for two years, I had both arms in splints as well. So two and a half years, I really had very limited use of my hands. And as a result, I learned a lot about what kind of a dean to be in a big organization. And I didn't make as many mistakes. Relationships strengthened for myself, for my daughter, for my ex-husband, her father. We, we all benefited from the fact that we had to readjust who we were and how we interacted with each other. And of course, I learned resilience. Um, I, I, I learned how to deal with a horrible, horrible situation and come out with a smile. So I think there's always lessons to learn and something that you will find to celebrate. And the last thing I, I, I pointed out, in the book, I talk about the butterflies in my stomach. I was a child actress before I even could read, before I was five. And I have a vivid personal memory of my dramatics teacher whispering in my ear as I was about to go on stage. And I suspect this must have been the first time I had ever walked onto a stage into the spotlight. Imagine I'm a little, almost five-year-old. And she said to me, Dolores, that's my real name. Dolores, do you feel butterflies in your tummy? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, that's wonderful. They are fluttering because they are so excited. They know that you know exactly what to do and you will do it beautifully because you are ready. What a gift. What other people call stage fright, I know is my butterflies telling me I am ready. And so my, my last tip, both in the book and, and to anybody in this little list of five, is trust your butterflies and know that you are ready. And if you believe you're ready, you will be. You will be. Don't let those butterflies in your tummy that make you feel almost sick, don't let them, don't interpret that as, as something that causes you to stop what you're doing. Interpret it as you are ready. There's really some truth in that. What that feeling is, is the adrenaline going into your body so that you can leap over the bridge and you know run a thousand miles an hour or whatever. If you can reframe that fear into a signal that you are ready, you can do it. You can do it. That's, that's a dose of dough. You've <laughs> got me crying dough. <laughs> oh. In good and you know, tears. What a, what a wonderful message. What a wonderful gift that that person gave you too, to frame that feeling right? That I know that could often that, that um, nervousness that might stop us from doing something, that frame of, no, that means you're ready. You're getting that, that, yeah. that you have that energy to, to bring this into yeah. life and to step forward into it. What a yep. beautiful shift. And um, so the book, um, depending on when you're listening to this and, mm -hmm. and watching this, um, you will is available will be available on on Amazon to purchase and you're also doing a number of events that people can find out about and attend if they want to yeah. meet you in person um and if um they want to reach out to you I believe you have an email address that people can email you directly to connect i do it's it's dr doe h that's d r d o e h at comcast.net that's my 
book email. It won't get caught up with all the other emails I get, either for work or at home. And I'd, I'd be happy to interact with anyone who would like to know more or open up a conversation. We are going to have a couple of book signings already. We've scheduled one November 15th at Leadership Greater Hartford in Hartford. Um, and, and I'm just open to sharing the book and, and sharing what I have learned over these 80 years with anyone who's interested in a conversation. Thank you so much for talking with me today, your generosity and sharing your wisdom with us and getting us to laugh and cry is so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, Liz. I could not have done this without Greenheart Living Press. I could not have put this book together this way. And I, I have become a real champion of you as well. Thank you. That means a lot to hear. To find out more about Greenheart Living, visit us on our website at www.greenheartliving.com and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash greenheartliving.